You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for bringing the church into these rooms and those who are watching online as well. Uh, it's been a good season for us as we're working our way through the Psalms. This is our third summer of Psalms. And Pastor Steve is leading us through the Psalms to go all the way to Psalm 150. So this is our third summer. I did the math. We have 12 more summers to go. Our 12th summer, I'll be, what do I want to be, 2000? I think 77 or 76 or I don't know what I'm going to be. I want to be a lot older than 12 years. All right. So we're just trying to hang, hang in there and, and to be a part of that. But uh, it's been really good. If you're new to Antioch, thanks for being here today. I hope you'll be encouraged. We're looking at Psalm 22, a great section of scripture penned by David and the clarity of that Psalm that reaches out to the cross. And I hope you'll be encouraged by that. Again, thank you for being here. If you're a guest for the first time, I know it's always a big step to walk into a new environment. And please know you're always welcome at Antioch. And we are welcome, well, thankful that you are here today and hope you'll be encouraged. Let's pray together and then we'll jump into Psalm 22. Father God, thank you for the gift of relationships, the ultimate relationship that we can have is our relationship with you by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness Thank you for the finished work of the cross that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with you. Uh, don't take it lightly today for each person in this room. I'm thankful that they're here. Uh, I just pray that you'll use your word today to encourage, challenge us, grow us in our faith. As we pray today, we just are reminded that you are a God who is holy and so worthy of worship. There is none like you. We just sang it. It's just none like you. And may we, by your grace, live for you, to live out our life, to live out our faith in a way that makes much of your name. We lift up today Larry and Cassie Kruger. Larry's been battling cancer now for nearly eight years. And uh, in these, these last few days, he's struggling and it's a challenge, and we just pray, God, your grace over him and his family. We lift up David and, and Jenny German. They're a faithful part of our church family as well, and David's battling cancer. Uh, and uh, in KU, and it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. It's hard. So I just pray, God, your encouragement over them. Bobby and Ann Black have been a part of our church for 30-plus years and faithfully serving you and serving others our heart goes out to them at the death of their 48-year-old daughter, Tracy. Uh, just pray for them. I can't imagine the weight of that and the, the loss. We thank you for the living hope. Tracy was a Christ follower, and we thank you for the hope that we have beyond the grave. Lift up the Carroll family, Linda today and her family. Uh, her mother passed away last week, and we pray your, last Sunday, in fact, we pray your grace over them. And just... 
In this room today, we have challenges and just life and stuff and all kinds of stuff. God, we just look to you for your leadership. Thank you for being a God that is present. You're not some distant, detached deity. You're a God that's right here with us, and you're a God who's for us, and we thank you for that. Use your word today to change me, to change us, to, to grow us in our faith, and to know more and more about who you are and how we can live out our faith in a way that, that honors you and makes much of, of Jesus Christ. So we give our morning to you, we ask in Jesus' name, and together, church, we said? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Just a little bit of background here to help us get, set the stage. Psalm 22 is a, what they call a prophetic psalm. It was a prophetic psalm penned by David, who penned many psalms throughout the sections. This prophetic psalm presents in this passage a graphic image of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. It's known as a messianic psalm. Have you ever heard that term, messianic psalm? Messianic speaks of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So this psalm in Psalm 22 is a psalm about Jesus. It's not a psalm about David, even though David is giving this. It's a psalm about, about Jesus. And so today, my prayer is that we will not just see this passage as information, though it is information, but we'll see today this passage as affirmation. We'll see this passage as transformation, that God would transform our lives by hearing the word. This book we call the Bible, church family, is a living document, amen? This is the living word of God, and God has, I believe, a word for you today and a word for myself in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, we discover three particular sections. First, the cry of abandonment, also the cross of suffering, and then the climax of hope. Those three areas will be our focus of study today in Psalm 22. So first, the cry of abandonment in Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. So these are the words of David who penned this psalm. God, where are you? Have you ever had that thought like, God, I know there's a God, but you're not very present in my life. God is present, church. God is a God who is faithful. I think about that phrase, saving me from the groaning of my groaning. You just feel the weight of what that was and what that meant to him. He felt probably like... Where is God? Maybe you've had that situation, like, where is God? I believe there's a God, but where is God? I, I like David and his way he presents that just from his heart, the need. Psalm 22 is this psalm that defines and describes Jesus Christ, his suffering, and his crucifixion. These are the same words exactly that Jesus spoke on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Exactly the same words as a thousand years later of Jesus penned these same words going back to Psalm 22. 
22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a cry of question. Where are you, God? Where are you? Psalm 22, I would say, is an extreme psalm. It begins with inimaginable depths of suffering, desperation, and abandonment. The answer, God is here, God is in control, and God is present, and there is hope. There is hope. I would say Psalm 22 is extreme. It's extreme. It begins with the unimaginable depths of suffering, desperation, abandonment. Psalm 22 is a heavy song, a heavy song. It would have been a very popular song to our radio station here, Life 88.5. It wouldn't be playing the, the top 10 there. If you're a K-Love listener, it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be playing this on K-Love. Right? This is a, a weighty, heavy song that... David pens on behalf of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 is an execution. By the Holy Spirit, David is pointing you and I to Jesus. On the cross, he experienced overwhelming sacrifice. His sacrifice was unique at the point that he actually offered himself uh, for the sins of his people, my sins and your sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and for you, and for you, and for the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The faithfulness of God, the goodness of God to give us and enable us to have a relationship with him by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. What a great reminder. So Psalm 22, I would say, is the clearest and most compelling picture of Jesus' death in the Old Testament. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor of yesteryear, said this, This is beyond all others, the psalm of the cross. The psalm of the cross. So David was describing, now don't forget, miss this, David was describing crucifixion which wouldn't be, have taken place until 700 years with the Persians who invented crucifixion. So what's happening in this passage, as we see this picture, and you're going to see it here as we go through it, of crucifixion, David's talking about this, but crucifixion hadn't come until 700 years later and 1,000 years before Jesus Christ experienced crucifixion from the writing and the date of this section of Psalm 22. Acts chapter 2 defines the answer. So how was David able to pen this psalm and, and look forward to a thousand? Because this psalm was about Jesus. Now it's a psalm about G, David, but this psalm is about Jesus. So how could he look forward to a thousand years and explain all the details we're going to find in this passage that Jesus experienced on the cross. Well, Acts chapter 2 defines the answer. Peter is writing this section, and here's what Peter says. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you and the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, don't, don't miss that word prophet. He, 
David, he said, David was a prophet. That's why he could go out and, and talk about Jesus a thousand years from now. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat, sit one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades or hell, and his flesh did not experience decay. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. This is a prophetic statement. When David makes these statements, you're going to see them in the passage. It's a, it's, a, it's a statement of prophecy. A thousand years prior to crucifixion. Look at Psalm 22, verse 3 and 4. David says, you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and delivered, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. That word trust or trusted is used three times in that passage as a reminder that we serve a trustworthy God, that God is absolutely faithful. Rest in that church family. He's faithful. When we feel like God has abandoned us or left us, he is faithful. I like what Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct and lead your path. That's the faithfulness. Of God, this, not just the love of, of Christ, the, the steadfast love of the Lord never stops, never ceases. So not only do we discover the cry of abandonment, and much more can be said about that, we also discover the cross of suffering. Psalm 22, verse 6 through 8. David writes, but I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag and they shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So David is penning these words that represent Jesus Christ. The word there, a worm, expresses humiliation and rejection, right? Just, now worms matter, right? Okay, worms matter, but just a, a worm, just, right? Express humiliation and rejection. They make mouths at me, means they are making fun and ridicule and mocking Jesus. Wagging or shaking their heads was a physical action associated with sneering and making fun and putting them down. So he, David sees this. All right? this, is, this, this, this. This happened to Jesus on the cross. You go to Matthew chapter 27 and read that passage. You'll see these types of words that are given about Jesus Christ and what he experienced. In fact, I got to hear Matthew 27, 39. All who passed by him, all who passed by Jesus derided him, wagging their heads. The exact words that David said. The exact words. All who see me mock me and they make mouths at me 
and they wag and they shake their heads. He penned that a thousand years before Jesus told those same words in Matthew 27, 39. Psalm 22, verse 9 through 11. David says, you are yet, or excuse me, yet you are he who took me from the womb and made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. I love that you've you've always been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. David says, I need this help. David is saying God was with Jesus from his birth and would be with Jesus until his death and his crucifixion. Psalm 22, verse 12 through 13, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. That symbol there, many bulls encompass me, is not talking about active bulls that are doing this. That phrase means it's symbolic of brutal strength. Around Jesus on the cross, there was brutal strength from these armies, these soldiers. These soldiers who crucified Jesus Christ on the cross, in essence, trampled Jesus like bulls. Psalm 22, verse 14 through 15, he says, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in my breast. My strength is dried up like potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. David again graphically describes the crucifixion. That word picture is the body fluids that are drying up and stopping to function. The heart here speaks, begins to fail, and and finally on the cross he experiences death. He says, my bones are out of joint. When do you find in the Psalms anywhere where David says, my, personally, my joints are out of of whack, my bones are out of joint. You never, he's he's saying this is what's going to happen to Jesus. So my bones are out of joint describes this prophecy that, Jesus is going to suffer persecution. He's going to experience physical suffering on the cross. And he did. And by the way, church, he did that for you and for me. The suffering on the cross for six agonizing hours on the cross to provide for us and with us a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, that's, that's good news. That's the gospel. Right? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My heart is like wax, melted in my chest, is a word picture again of anguish, of pain, severe pain. My tongue sticks to my jaw, describes the thirst and the agony he was experiencing on the cross. Jesus said in John 19, 28, I thirst. You want to memorize a verse? There's, there you go, right there, okay? I thirst. Again, exactly what David is talking about. Lay me in the dust of death implies inevitable death. And Jesus died on the cross for us. Psalm 22, verse 16 through 18. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers, they circle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. 
I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Cast lots. When do you ever find a passage in the Psalms where David says, my hands have been pierced, right? My hands and feet. So, so again, we see this, this picture of the crucifixion given by David a thousand years before Jesus Christ experienced his death on the cross. That phrase, dog surrounds me or encompass me, speaks of a, a large group of evildoers uh, who circled around Jesus. That's exactly what they did at the cross. They made fun of him. They jeered him. The piercing of Jesus' hands and feet described the method and brutality of his death on the cross. His hands and feet were nailed to the cross. David presents that. He would have been totally exposed, totally naked and exposed on the cross. Just, just feel the weight of that. For you and for me totally humiliated, making fun of. They were jeering against him. He experienced unspeakable agony and suffering on the cross for you and for me. It's good for a church to, to remember, amen, and to feel the weight of the cross and what God did for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 20. chapter 22 verse 17 he says I can count all my bones they stare and gloat over me they divide my garments among them from my clothing they cast lots that phrase counting bones is a a visual a visible picture of his bones in his body on the cross just you could just see you could see his bones on the cross people stare is a description of public again public exposure You see, he was exposed for us, church, amen? Amen. He was exposed for us to have relationship with him. Psalm 22, verse 18, they divide and gambled my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Dividing garments was a a practice of, of criminals who would around the cross take the criminal's clothing, right? To, to, to be themselves was part of the, the sentence, what was taking place. And again, in Matthew 27, verse 35, the gospel says, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lot, just like rolling the dice. Right. Psalm 22, verse 19 to 21. But you, O Lord, do not be far off, Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued or answered me from the thorns, or excuse me, from the horns of wild oxen. So these are all word pictures, right? There, there weren't probably dogs around there. There weren't, he wasn't talking about the mouth of a lion or the wild oxen. What he's saying here is he's saying, Lord, do not be far off. Represents and refers to God. You are my strength. You are my strength. The power of the dog and mouth of the lion represent executioners. They were the dogs. They, they were the lions 
who were jeering and ridiculing Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22, verse 22 through 25, I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. But has heard when he cried to him, from you comes my praise and the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear me. In this section right here, David is describing the glory and the awe of the Lord. The glory and the awe of the Lord. We we serve a God who deserves our glory. Amen. He deserves that. And and David reminds that and, and speaks that out. Psalm 22, verse 26. They afflict, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. That phrase afflicted can represent the word poor. The, the poor and humble will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Even in the depth of crucifixion, there is, there is hope. There's hope. The poor and humble will be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him, will praise him. So we see the the weight of the cross and the details of David writing these words that represent what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross for you and for me. So we see the climax of hope in verse 27 through 31. God's word says, and the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. All the nations. In that passage, Jesus declared the truth of the gospel to the nations. His suffering on the cross wasn't in vain. His suffering on the cross didn't pose him to be powerless. All the ends of the earth will remember. And for the most part, all the earths of the remember of the earth remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Whether they believe it or not, they see it. They're aware of it. I like the way Paul puts it in Romans 1:16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. Not being willing to have a conversation. That, that convicts me, church. Have you, have you been there when you said, I wish I, I should have said something? I should have said something? We've got to guard against being ashamed of the gospel. I, I, I think that's an issue with us. To be transparent with you, there are t- I, I, I battle with it. What are they going to think about me? I don't really know who they are. How are they going to respond to that? But by the grace of God, convicted by this passage, 
and say, we've got to step into that. How can God use your personality, your environment, who you are as a person? How can we make a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're in this room today, and you are, right? If you're a Christ follower, someone, it's, someone connected with you, right? You wouldn't be here if you're a Christ follower. There wasn't somebody who made a connection with you. Convicted by that. Psalm 22, 28, the Lord rules over the nations. He rules over the nations. He rules over China and Russia. Iran and Europe and the United States and some 190 other countries around the world. Nothing is happening in our world that God is not aware of. In fact, it's part of his plan, right? By the way, it's not going to get better and better and better. It's going to always get worse and worse and worse until the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. It's just what it is. And, and in that then, by God's grace, we live out our lives in a way that make much of him. That we serve others. We serve him well. That we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To make a difference. So who's in charge? The Lord is. God's in charge, man. God's in charge. Am I concerned of situations? Yes. Do, do certain things bother me? Yes. I think we should be engaged in our community, that God can use our lives, our stories. We don't, we don't hunker down and hide out. Here we are. Here's where we live. God, use our lives to make a difference in the lives, the lives of others. That Proverbs 21, 1 puts it this way. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he desires. So every leadership, every emperor, every king, hear this church from Proverbs 21.1, they're, they're in the hand of God. What's happening in our world, it's all in the hands of God. What, he, is, he is doing what he's doing, right? He allows that. It's, it's part of his plan. For me, that's good to know, right? So if we go to CNN or Fox News and get all bent out of shape, I can remember, hey, it's all in his hand, all right? We probably watch too much news as it is, right? We're all in his hands. About king's heart. Psalm 22, 29. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Okay, we're talking about now the vitality of hope. All right, the, the vibrant of hope. All the prosperity of the earth and eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. That picture of keeping himself alive. Even Jesus couldn't keep himself alive. His death was, on, was for us. That picture there, those who prosper, communicates the idea, they, those who prosper pursue humility. That's something I could use more of and you could use more of is humility. Right? Where it's not all about us, it's about others, it's about Jesus. His vision extends to unborn generations, people yet to be born. Catch that phrase. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Right? 
Generation after generation, he extends his grace, extends the gospel. Psalm 145, verse 3 and 4 puts it this way, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. The God we serve, church family, is awesome. The God we serve is great. The God we serve is in absolute control. Absolute control. I love that fact that his vision extends to future unborn generations. It goes on to say, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So in this room, we have different generations. We can continue to proclaim the mighty acts of God, that we talk about him, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. I just love that, that verse 3 and 4 of 145, that, that God champions the priority of generations, telling another generation about Jesus Christ. At Antioch, we say our mission is leading generations to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere. It, no, I, it's, I think it's a great statement. It's on the wall. It looks good, but we've got to live it out. Amen, church? Leading generations to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere. I'm not trying to be heavy, a Debbie Downer. I'm just saying, I'm talking about it's good to be convicted. We, we need conviction. I, I need conviction. How I'm living my life on behalf of him. I love that. Leading generations to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty, mighty acts. Uh, my um, mom and dad, when they first got married, I think it was back in 1955. My mom's here somewhere. I think I'm going to go 1955. Okay. I was not there yet. I was, I was going to be on my way in a couple of years, but I wasn't there. My dad and mom were from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my dad was uh, not a very good person. Okay, now, I didn't know that early then, but that's who he was. He, in fact, left Detroit, Michigan because he was in trouble, went to South Florida, did cement finishing, bridge building, had a neighbor across from the backyard named Bud DeVar. And Bud DeVar began having conversations with my dad and invited my dad to come to church and was inviting him. And finally, my dad said yes and started attending that church. It was a church, back in those days, churches were closer and you could, almost, you could walk, to, so you could walk. So my dad would walk toward that church. Before he got to the church, he would stop at a local bar, have a couple beers under his belt, and then he'd go to church. He did that week after week after week after week for, for a long time. And then one day, in that bar room, he pushed that beer aside, bowed his head on that bar stool, and invited Jesus Christ to save him, got up, went to that church, presented his profession of faith to that pastor. I'm a Christ follower, was baptized. His life was radically changed. My mom, an unbeliever, my mom lived in a church, or was part of a church that they said, you're okay, you're a good person, don't worry about it. So my dad was, began praying for my mom. 
My dad would pray for my mom when she was in bed. He would kneel beside her bed and pray for her to come to Christ. And she did. She did. Fast forward, we have three families in our, three children, I should say, in our family. When I was 16 years old, 1972, that Sunday, sitting right about here, we had about four rows, about, had maybe five rows in our church, right about here, that's it. My dad was preaching, and that day I just realized I, I don't have him. I, I grew up in a, in a good home. My dad wasn't perfect by any means, or my mom, but I hadn't made Jesus my own. Walked down the aisle right here at that little church in Jerome, Idaho. And my dad met you there. And we bowed down and went to Romans chapter 10, 9, 10, and 11. That if you call upon the Lord, that he will save you. With the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into Jesus Christ. And that day I got saved. Amen. I started dating my, my wife. Not at the time, but she's my wife now. And anyway. <laughs> I get all mixed up in that kind of stuff like that. But she was at, at our church. And my mom led Judy to Christ. Wow. So my brother Don, my sister Jolene, came to faith in Christ. Amen. It's, it's all Jesus, but it's one guy named Bud. Amen. We have four children. All grown, three are married, seven grandkids. By God's grace, our children are saved. We have seven grandkids now who have, from, from let's see, we got a, like a junior in high school down to first grade, and they, and they, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's been four generations. I never met Bud. Never met him. But just a, a simple invite changed the entire trajectory of our lives. And I'm sure in this room here, there's story after story after story after story in your life, amen, that someone came to you, someone came to your father or your mother or whatever it was and just made the difference with the gospel. I love this fact, the way that Paul closes, or excuse me, uh, David closes this. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness in verse 31 to a people yet born. He has done it. So this Psalm 22, 31 represents the generations to come who will proclaim God's salvation, who will put their faith in Jesus Christ, even people yet to be born. And so David finishes Psalm 22 with what I would call four significant words. He has done it. Amen. Who is that? Jesus has done it. Jesus did it for you and for me. He did it for us on the cross for us. The last words that Jesus spoke on the cross were these simple three words, it, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished is an accounting term that means paid in full, paid in full. 
The debt I owed was paid in full by Jesus. I like that word, paid in full. I like that word, paid in full. The debt I owed has been paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be familiar with Timothy Keller. Uh, I follow him. I, I, he just passed away about three weeks ago, had cancer, 72 years old, just a, an amazing teacher. And I enjoy listening to him and learning from him. And he just he makes this statement I heard here a, a few weeks ago on a podcast. He said this, my God, my God, shows us the infinity of his suffering, the perfection of his obedience, and therefore the amazing accomplishment of the cross. Why did he do it? The answer is for you and for me. For you and for me. It is done. That's a good word, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 22. The weight of that psalm is, may we feel the weight of that. Thank you for David the prophet that proclaimed a thousand years prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ what was going to happen. And we get to look at that and see that. And how that Jesus at the cross, quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was forsaken for me, right? He was forsaken. He, he gave his life for me. And he gave his life for others. God, thank you for all that you've done and all that you are doing for us in the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ. So I just pray today in this room that God, you would encourage us to, to make the ask, to, to make that invite. I, I pray for those in the room today who maybe haven't put their faith in Christ, that today could be that defining moment for them to put their faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. So we trust you with that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name and together, church, we said, amen. amen. Let me close with just four simple applications that maybe you can process here. First, do you experience abandonment? You know, just like I don't have anybody around me. I mean, we, we, go, we can go through those seasons of that, just abandoned. Number two, just a way of thinking through some things. Are, maybe, are you in a season of suffering? Maybe God's put you in that season. I think we've all had those seasons of suffering and Difficult that God begins to work in our life and change us and make us what he wants us to be. Then number three, is there a lack of hope in your life? I like this closing part of Psalm 22. It's this picture of hope, right? Picture of hope. And then number four, do I have four? 
I think I do. It's in my, sorry, I got one more for you. All right. Are you advancing the gospel? Are you advancing the gospel? That's my fault. It's not their fault at all up there. It's me. I'm a big changer guy at about seven o'clock in the morning. So I'm, yeah. So you guys, you guys did good. So I hope we'd be encouraged by David's song. I encourage you to 31 verses. You can read it in just a couple of minutes and just meditate on that passage and the goodness and the greatness of God. I just, I just love that, that David the prophet gave that word. And here we now we can look back on it and see that and we can look back on the cross and, and see all of that. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.